Atwood's I Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we turn the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? So we've been asking this question over the past few weeks, haven't we? This same question over and over, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Which freaks you out a little bit inside. For some of you, you get a little anxious, right? Are you ready? Are you ready for school? Did you get your shoes and socks on? Are you ready? Are you ready for graduation? Are you ready for that? Did you pick your college yet? Are you ready? Are you vacation planning? Did you get married yet? Where's your kids? Do you got grandkids? Are you ready? There's something that's getting ready to happen in the world. We don't know what it is, but it's going to be tragic. It's going to be awful. Are you ready? And so culture just starts to like pelt us with all these questions, and you're like, I'm freaking out a little bit inside. You need to simmer down, right? You just need to, 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 to get your horses under control because you, you're making me way anxious and uptight when as followers of Jesus, there's one question, one question that we should be wrestling with, and that's, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Let's take our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30 is where I'll be. So a few weeks ago, we read through Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus says, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. He says, you gotta be, you're not going to know what time, you're not going to know what day, so you just need to get ready. And so that leaves us asking the question, how do I do that? How do I go about getting ready? And so Jesus gives these four parables through Matthew 24 and 25. He gives the thief in the night. The faithful servant, the ten virgins, and the talents. Last week, we looked at the parable of the ten virgins where Jesus says you need to be prepared to wait patiently. Last week, we talked all about patient waiting. This week, we're going to talk all about what it means to wait diligently. Diligent waiting. And that brings us to our big idea today. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we faithfully serve the Master, our Father, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So Jesus makes this point again and again in the parable of the talents. If you're joining us for the first time, let me set the stage for you. Because this is in the final days of Jesus' life before the arrest, before that last supper, before the, the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, right? These are the, the final days of Christ. He's just been in Jerusalem, and when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he went to the temple, and that's where he pronounced judgment on the scribes and the Pharisees. As they were walking out of Jerusalem towards the Mount of Olives, this is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is walking toward the Mount of Olives. The disciples were like, Jesus, did you see those buildings? He's like, I did. They're going to be destroyed. And then so there's some foretelling and some foretelling. There, there's both that takes place right here. So the disciples want to know, Jesus, when? When will the temple be destroyed? And then they add another question on, and they say, and can you talk to us about your return? And so there's some prophecy involved with what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus says, yes, the temple will be, it hasn't been yet, it has now, because it was AD 70, but the temple will be, Jesus says, destroyed, and I will talk to you about my return. So there is some future talk that happens, and then Jesus gives some foretelling, but let me tell you, what you're supposed to do right now. 
That's coming. All that's coming. You're not going to know the day or the time. It is coming. That's all you need to know. But I'm going to tell you, there's some things you need to do to be prepared right now. It should change the way that you live right now. And so we're going to jump in here. This Again, it's a parable. So a parable is a story with a meaning. And so I want to look at this parable in three different scenes, if you will, right? First will be the first scene. In the first scene, we see the distribution of the talents. Let's look in verse 14, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, for it, it will be, we can just have, we can just have the Bible app read to us. Does a good job. That voice is so much better than mine right now. So jealous, so jealous. For it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. So the it here, in your Bible, I would circle the word it. It, because it is referring back to verse number one. I would draw an arrow back to verse number one because we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it is going to be like a man going on a journey. That man, he's a master. The word in the Greek, here's the word kurios. Kurios, which means Lord. And so he's saying there's this Lord, this owner of everything, this master of everything, and he's going to go on a journey. And so he takes his property and he divides it between these three servants. And he gives them talents. Not talents like you can juggle and you can hula hoop. Not that talent. This talent is a monetary weight. So it's not even like a coin, right? It's not like a dollar bill, y'all. It's not like that. This is, this is a weight of money. Now, it's interesting. If you follow this word and how it, it formed over the years, in the 15th century, in English, it came to be known like you have musical talent, you have entrepreneurial talent, you know, you have these talents, but it was because of the weight and the worth of what you provided, which really went back to this parable, which is fascinating to watch how this, this word formed. But let's go back to the weight thing. Theologians don't agree today even on what that weight would be. You see, some say that the weight would be the equivalence of minimum wage for 20 years. That's roughly give or take $400,000. Some say it would be the weight of 70 pounds of gold or silver. Let's use gold. It's worth more. That'd be roughly, depending on the the value and the the quality of the gold, $1.4 million. So somewhere in there. For easy math, for easy math, let's round down from 1.4 and make it 1 million. It's just easy for conversation. Okay? So to one, he says, I'm going to give you 5 million bucks. I'm going to give you 2 million bucks. I'm going to give you 1 million bucks. It's pretty awesome, right? And then it says each according to their talent, and that's where, or each according um, to their abilities, and that's where we say, well, Lord, that doesn't seem very fair. Each according to their abilities, why didn't you just give the same amount, which we'll come back to, but each according to their abilities. We know in Scripture that we have different backgrounds, right? We have different We have different strengths and different weaknesses, different liabilities. John, John was different than Mary. Mary was different than Thomas. Thomas was different than Peter. All of them together, though, were living in a way to continue to grow the kingdom, right? All of them had that same calling to know the Lord and to make him known. All had that same thing in common. Now, the problem comes when we start to look over our shoulder, 
Church, that comparison game, it's not just dangerous, it's pretty gross. You see, if I, if I went to you right now and I said, hey, I've got a gift for you, it's, it's for you, I'm going to give you a million dollars right now. You'd be pretty pumped, wouldn't you? You're like, yeah, I'm paying off some of my debt. I'm buying some Chick-fil-A. Not today because they're closed. It's Sunday, right? But tomorrow I'm buying me some Chick-fil-A. I'm going to invest a little bit. I'm going to save some, you know. I'm going to be a big tithe. That's going to be a nice tithe, Pastor. That's going to be good, you know. And so, so you're going through all of that in your head, and, and you're, you're real happy until you find out that the person next to you, I went and sat down next to them. I said, hey, I'm going to give you $2 million. I'm going to give you $2 million right now. And all of a sudden you're going, but why did I only get a million? You felt great about your million until you found out I gave them two million. You don't feel so good about your million anymore. And you're like, but they got two. And you feel cheated somehow. And then you get in your car and you go home. And as you're pulling into your driveway, your neighbor comes running out, pumping their arms in the air. And they're so excited. And they're like, hey, your pastor called me. And you go, but my pastor doesn't know you. And they go, I know. But he gave me $5 million. I'm so excited. <laughs> you're going to go, oh, no. Like, there. There's something wrong with this picture here. Comparison, comparison is pretty gross. Now, that's, that's a lighthearted example. Here's a little bit more personal example, because I'm just going to tell you, I think what happens is we, we look at it, maybe you don't, so I should stop saying we, and maybe I should just like admit some stuff to you. Sometimes I look in the mirror, and because of comparison, I say, am I a, a five-talent person? According to ability, am I a two-talent person? Am I a one-talent person? And a lot of times, because of comparison, I start to see my own value and worth. I must be a one-talent person. Because I, I see y'all. I watch you. And I joke about it. I do. But it does secretly bother me that it should take me two to three weeks for my shower project. And here we are, month three or four or whatever, and Amy still doesn't have a shower, right? And, and I whack my head. I was trying to grout it. Like, can y'all see this right here? How do, you, how do you cut your head open grouting your shower? Like, how is that even possible, right? And so, like, I realized, like, this is ridiculous. Why can't I just do what everybody else does as easily as they do it? Had to go buy a whole other background because I screwed it all up, right? And, um, and I look at the other campus pastors, and here's what comparison does. I, I look at some of these guys, and just so you know, at Woodside, we have some incredible theological minds, some incredible writers, some incredible preachers, some incredible pastors. And that whole thing of comparison, I think, robs us from seeing God the way we should because he is the good, good gift giver, isn't he? It all belongs to him. None of it's ours anyway. It's all the Lord's. And I think when we own that, it puts us in a much healthier spot instead of the comparison game to look at God and to realize who he is and what he has given. And as far as giving equally, well, Matthew 20 gives a parable about that, and we didn't like that parable either. This is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, and essentially what it says is there's some workers. Some of them go out and they work all day long, all day long. Some of them just work that very last shift. And it says that they got paid the same. So let's say it this way. You got up and you went to work at 6 a.m. and you worked till 6 p.m. And then there were other workers who showed up at 4.30. They worked for an hour and a half, but they got paid the exact same as you. Well, you don't like that either, do you? You don't like that very much. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first 
last. Maybe, maybe we should look at it this way. You'll never diligently serve the Lord when you're dissatisfied with his generosity. You'll never diligently serve the Lord if you're dissatisfied with his generosity. Church, there is that place for every single person in this room that we have to just say, Lord, you are good. You are so good. Everything I am, everything I have, Lord, it is all yours. The only reason I'm here is because of your grace and your mercy. It's that posture that allows us to serve diligently. Now, in this next scene, we see the use of the talents. Look down at verse 16. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them. He made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So here we go, bam, that first guy's like, I've got $5 million to work with, right? But it's not my money. It's my Lord's money. It's my master's money. I gotta get to work because it's not mine. He trusted me with it. He gave me a mission. And so he immediately goes to investing. He immediately goes to working. And he's like, I don't know. Is it gonna be a day? Is it gonna be a week? Is it gonna be a month? Is it gonna be 10 years? I don't know, but I've gotta get busy. And he took that five, he turned it into 10. Now the other one, he had two He's like, I gotta get busy. I don't know when my master's coming back. I've gotta start investing. I've gotta start working. I know he gave me a job to do. This belongs to him. I wanna be faithful with what he's given me. He turns the two into four. In this power, none of it belonged to them, though, did it? Let's remember that. This didn't belong to this money, wasn't theirs. That talent worth of monetary value, it wasn't theirs at all. And so they're only using. They're only using and investing what already belongs to the Lord. It's like the loaves and the fish, isn't it? I was thinking about that this week, the loaves and the fish. You have all these people who are hungry, all these people who are fed. You know the story so well. The disciples go to Jesus. Jesus, we don't have anything to feed these people with. What are we supposed to do? And they look around, they find a sack lunch, five loaves, two fish, right? They find this little sack lunch. They're like, I mean, we found this, Jesus. What are you going to do with it? And then they start feeding the people. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were fed that day. But my favorite part, there were 12 basketfuls left over, one for each of the disciples, just to show the power of Jesus. That's how compound interest works with the Lord. Right? Speaking of compound interest, you've probably seen this illustration, but we're going to do it for fun. Let's, um, let's say you have a choice. Right now today, right here, right now, I could give you a million dollars. That's your choice. You can take a million dollars, or you can get a penny. This is your choice, right? But the penny, the penny's gonna double in value every day. So tomorrow, you'd have two pennies, and then on Tuesday, you would have four, and so on and so forth, eight, 16, 32, right? You get the point. And let's say we're gonna let that keep doubling for a month, right? A penny that doubles every day for a month, or a million dollars. How many of you, you want the million? Raise your hand. Raise them big, you want a million. Y'all have seen this, haven't you? <laughs> Come on now. How many want the penny? Yeah. Amy knew. She's like, no, you're tricking me here. You are. All right. I got a bunch of smiles. We're going to see second service. I bet they're going to be like not paying attention. There's going to be a lot of million people. Yeah. Everyone who right now, some of you, you're like, I'm not playing that game. Mm, I'm going to start pencil to paper before I make a decision. 
Those who raised their hand, though, here's what you would have had. At the end of a month, you're going to have $5,368,709.12. That's how it works, right? That's what we do when we trust the Lord. When we go to the Lord, and that, that's a ridiculous illustration. Anyway, the whole point is this. The whole point is, what are you doing with what the Lord has trusted you with? That's really what my point is. What are you doing with what the Lord has trusted you with? Because I think sometimes we start out and we're like, Lord, I'm so grateful for my job, right? I want to work, I want to serve, I want to learn, I want to, if we're not careful, we start to change that posture a little bit. Lord, I go to my church and I want to serve and I want to give and I want to pray and I want to gather and I want to worship. And if we're not careful, it just starts to switch just a little bit. Lord, you put me in this neighborhood for a reason. You've put me around these neighbors on purpose. So I want to pray and I want to talk and I want to be your salt and light in this place. And if we're not careful, it just starts to shift a little bit like this last servant. See, when you look at the last servant, what did he do? He went and he dug a hole. He forgot his mission. He forgot his purpose. How long? It hadn't been very long, had it? The master had given him his marching orders. It didn't take very long before he took that million and he just dug it. And he put it under that hole and, and he buried it. He abandoned his calling and deserted his purpose. Which brings us to the third scene, the accounting time. Let's look at verse 19. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came, he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the master comes to settle accounts. His accounts, because it's all his. Just so we're clear, it is all his. And I think that's where we get tripped up. Because sometimes I think what we do is we look at the Lord and we're like, okay, Lord, this is what I started with, but I worked I worked, I rolled my sleeves up, or I went to school, or, or I built the resume, or I built the, and so whatever fruit is there, well, Lord, that's, that's mine, right? Because I did it. It's my work. And when you do that, again, you're losing sight of who the Lord is. Every good thing, church, comes from the Lord. Isn't that what James says? James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Church, God is good. He is always good. And that good fruit that's produced in your life, that all belongs to him. And when you let go with your hands, see, when you say, Lord, everything I am, everything I have is yours, we have four people being baptized today over the next two services. That's exactly what that symbolizes. They're going to go under the water and stand with Jesus in his death and his burial. They're going to come out of the water and stand with Jesus in his resurrection. It's where they open their hands and they say, Lord, my whole life is yours. There's nothing I have, nothing I am that isn't yours. I am surrendering everything to you. 
When you do that, here's what you gain. You gain the talent giver himself. The one who gives all the good gifts. And here's the beauty of our Heavenly Father. In that place, he says you are co-heirs through Christ. Co-heirs. Meaning, we inherit the kingdom of heaven, church. We are part of that inheritance. It's where our eyes are open that this world is not all there is. This is not the end. We need to keep our eyes wide open to that fact. This is not, this, this is not the goal to build your kingdom here. It's to continue to build that earthly kingdom, knowing there is so much more waiting, not to try to cling to everything of this earth. So the master goes to settle his accounts. And the first guy goes up and he says, okay, you gave me five and I went to work and I made it 10. And what did he say? Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in, enjoy the joy. I'm gonna set you, you you were trusted with just a a little, five million, right? I trusted you with a little, well, I'm gonna trust you with a lot now, but come on in. And then the other one had two, I turned it into four. What was said? Well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you a little, I'm going to give you more. Come on in and enjoy it. Did you notice the response was the exact same between the two? You see, our Heavenly Father didn't put more worth on one than he did the other, did he? So it's never about money to begin with, church. Well, it's never about money. It was about the diligence and the faith. It's about continuing to be diligent and faithful. Because then we see this third one come along. And we see the opposite posture. Here's what he says. He also who had received the one talent came forward. Say, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So why didn't he invest? Why wasn't he diligent? Why wasn't he faithful? Well, we see it right here. He doesn't really like the master to begin with, does he? Did you see what he said? You're a hard man. That's what he told his master. You're a hard man. You reap. You didn't sow. You gather. You never scattered. You wanted me to work for you, but you weren't working at all. His opinion of the master is one of bitterness. His opinion is one of anger. His opinion, can I just say, is totally twisted from what reality is. This master gave freely of all of his property to these three servants. And yet this one is viewing his master in a very twisted way, isn't he? Paul tells us in Romans that's going to happen. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, I'm not one who stands up on a normal Sunday morning and says, church, look at at all the signs and look at the... And yet I look at the word of God, inventors of evil. Have you seen any of that in our world lately? Where it's almost like we're inventing evil that was never even there before 20 years ago. This wasn't a thing, and now it's a thing. Disobedient to parents, faithless. 
the faithlessness of our world around us today. And maybe I should stop saying the world around us today. Maybe we should just look in the church. Are we a church of faith? Do we continue to live out the calling that God has given us to? So then the question is, what do you think of God? This man thought that the master, the Lord, was this bad guy. What do you think? And what informs your thoughts of God? When it comes to informing your thoughts of God, does it come from the world or his word? Does it come from your flesh or his spirit? Does it come from the cross or does it come from the empty tomb? Is it your resume or the work of his son? What's informing how you think about our God? So the servant here doesn't, clearly doesn't care about the approval of the master. He didn't want the approval of the master, so look what the master says in verse 26. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But from the ones who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So instead of joy, he receives condemnation. Instead of being welcomed into fellowship, he, he's, he's cast out. Instead of extra responsibility, he's stripped of responsibility. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, I've given you a gift. I've given you the gift of the gospel. You know the ways of the kingdom of God. But this treasure isn't for you. It's not for you alone just to hang on to and hoard and, and bury and keep a secret. Church, it's the same for us. Now, we are excited, right? We are excited. We're excited about baptisms today. We're excited about the coming of Easter. We're excited about this. And I know, I know you are going to be inviting people to Easter. I know you will. I know for Mother's Day, you're going to be inviting people to show up to that building for Mother's Day. I know you will. A couple weeks after that, Pastor Steve will be here, Pastor Chris. They want to pray for us in the space. I said, take Mother's Day to be at your campus. Come on, a few weeks later, we'll still be here, right? And um, you can pray for us then. And, so, and I know you'll be inviting people. That'll be a big day for us. We're going to bring in the workers, and we're going to celebrate the work that's taken place. That's appropriate, and that's good. But can I just remind us that the church isn't the building. Church has never been the building built by human hands. God's dwelling place is here. It's among us and with us. This is the church. And we have a responsibility not to bury this incredible gift that God has given us. And so it's where we say today, Lord, I got to get busy today because I know you're coming. I don't know what time. I don't know what day. I don't know what hour, but I know you're coming. And so I want to be ready. This is where we say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see my neighbor the way that you see my neighbor. Don't let me become callous to seeing them. My own family. Lord, I got some people in my family who need you desperately. They don't know the truth of your gospel. We, we show me how to continue to press in and speak truth there. Lord, I got some friends that I really like. I love them. I know I don't love them as much as you love them, but Lord, I love them. They need salvation in Christ. Church, let's not bury a treasure that's been given to us. Because we think maybe he'll come back, maybe he won't, we'll see, but probably not in my lifetime. Let's continue to be real busy building the church. Father, we do thank you.
We praise you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, the way that your word continues to sharpen our hearts, to renew our minds. Lord, I know that there's people in the room right now that maybe they've been going through a season and they've started to drift from the mission just a little bit. It's so easy in today's world to become consumed with what's going on with health, what's going on with politics, what's going on with sports, what's, what's going on with what's going on. But Lord, let us continue to be laser focused on the calling that you've given us. You told us to go and to make disciples of all the nations and baptize. We're so thankful to be able to baptize today. You said to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach everything that you've commanded. Lord, let us be faithful to continuing to teach from the youngest child to the oldest adult. Let us never grow weary or tired of that mission because we know you're with us always till the very end of the age. Lord, I pray for those in this room that maybe they've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. This is such an exciting time, such a, an overwhelming time because we get to see your goodness and your grace in such a powerful way. I think sometimes when we go through the trials like what we've been through this past year, it just opens our eyes even more to how good you are. So Lord, for those who maybe they've never surrendered, I pray that today they're able to throw open their hands and throw open their hearts and say, Lord, I don't want to worship the thing that shines anymore. I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. I'm surrendering to the truth that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he lived again. And that I can have new life because of my faith in Christ. Lord, continue to renew us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.